Back chat. Back chat. Back chat. Politics and current affairs. Backpack. Back chat. Back chat. Your alternative to talk back. Yes, indeed. You are listening to Backchat here on FBI Radio, the freshest rap of news and current affairs. I'm Shami Sivasubramanian. And I'm Millie Roberts, stepping in for Swetha today. As always, we're going to give you the news you haven't heard on your airwaves this week. First up is Gabrielle Jackson from The Guardian Australia on how women's health, especially endometriosis, has been dismissed for too long. Then we're speaking to Sydney stylist Chrissy Zamora. She'll be talking about her viral petition to get black hair included in TAFE courses. But we want to hear from you. Join in on the conversation. Text us in on 0409 945 945 or tweet us at FBI. It is absolutely laughable. The woman's off her tree. Backchat, your alternative to talk back. When it comes to health, women are often dismissed for voicing their concerns. Studies show we wait longer in emergency rooms, are less likely to receive painkillers, and have our side effects ignored in medical research. These experiences are commonly felt in the endometriosis community, a disease that affects over 10% of Aussie women. Having written extensively on gendered health treatment, including her own experience with endometriosis, our first guest is no stranger to pain bias. We're joined by The Guardian Australia's Associate News Editor, Gabrielle Jackson. Hey, Gabrielle, thanks for dialing in. Hi. Nice to be here. Thanks for having me. You were diagnosed with endometriosis nearly two decades ago. What was your mm-hmm. experience getting diagnosed and trying to access treatment back then? Um, look, it was really hard. I, I um, had suffered from really terrible period pain uh, from you know my teenage years and... I was just told over and over again by by different GPs and even family members and friends, oh, that's just part of being a woman, you know, that's just that's just life. And even one, you know, when I started to get a bit older and kind of noticed that no one else I knew seemed to be, you know, not able to move for three days at least and vomiting and diarrhea and being sick all the time, I said to my GP, this isn't normal. She was like, look... Some women have bad period pain. Put up with it. And luckily I was a bit older then and I was like, well, I don't want to put up with it anymore. So I really need you to refer me to a gynecologist. (laughs) It was only then that I actually, you know, got referred when I insisted myself. Were you surprised to discover just how little is known about endometriosis? I was really shocked. Like when I went to the gynecologist, I was really lucky that he was very knowledgeable about the disease and kind of listening to me talk for 10 minutes, he was like, well, I think you have endometriosis. And I was like, endometriosis, what? <laughs> um, but uh, no, I, I didn't, I don't think I understood then. I didn't really understand for a really long time how little anyone knew about the disease and about its symptoms. You know, for a long time, they thought, I thought, I was told, it's just bad period pain. When in fact, now we know that it's not just bad period pain, that it involves symptoms like bloating and fatigue, anxiety, um, back pain, leg pain, uh, trouble sleeping, um, nausea, feeling of dizziness, you know, all these things. And a lot of those things, if you go to the doctor and say, look, I'm really tired and I feel dizzy sometimes and I often feel sick, they'll kind of think you're a bit of a whinger and maybe a hypochondriac. <laughs> or this is a classic, quote, too anxious about your health, unquote. Wow. It's, And you just get kind of written off as a hysterical woman, basically. 
Mm. You wrote about your experience with Endo for The Guardian a few years ago, and more mm. recently, you've written your book Pain and Prejudice. So what kinds of stories have you heard from other women and gender-diverse people? Um, I've heard so many stories, and they are all just so similar. When when I did the piece for The Guardian a few years ago, we did a, a global investigation into the disease and how it was treated in different countries. We had reporters in the US and the UK and Australia looking into it. And we put a call out on the website saying, you know, tell us about your experience. And we had people get back to us from, uh, like, more than 40 countries. And I had to read, like, a thousand people's responses. And what shocked me was that the stories were exactly the same. Being told you're a hypochondriac, being told the pain is all in your head, being told... Some doctors even use the word hysterical in some countries today. And... I just, (laughs) that surprised me more than anything else because I thought, well, what is happening in medicine as a system that women, no matter how rich or poor they are, no matter their gender status, no matter where they live, they're all being told to take the same thing. You're just weak, shut up, put up with the pain. That's your lot in life. And that's what spurred me on to write the book, actually, because I just thought I need to know more about why this is happening and how it is happening. And it's happening because medical science just doesn't know enough about this disease and what is known is kind of shared among a few specialists who no one wants to listen to. So why do you think we've neglected research into women's bodies for so long? Uh, I think there are a number of reasons. Um, Most of the scientists and doctors have been men and they didn't think women's bodies were interesting. Uh, There was a belief that women were just men with wombs. They were kind of just a bit of a deficient man. So they knew that the womb was different and they thought that was the only difference and that everything else that happened in the human body would be able to be, uh, you know, translated from what happens in men to women. But actually, you know, the more that has been studied, the more has been found there are differences in, in men and women and Go that figure, gender huh? is a big factor. Sorry? Go figure. Oh, I know, right? <laughs> and, you know, they just... The, the diseases that mainly affect women, um, a lot of them are pain conditions, that was all just written off as hysteria for a really long time, just that women are hysterical, and that's because they're not fulfilling their biological uh, um, kind of function to be mothers and to be good wives and mothers. It was always just, you know, a very moralising approach when it came to women's illnesses. You're listening to Backchat on FBI Radio 94.5 with Shami and Mills. We're speaking with Gabrielle Jackson from The Guardian Australia about female health being put on the back burner. And we've got a text in. So someone's texted in, Gabrielle. I was diagnosed with endo just recently and it was a nightmare trying to get answers. And that seems to be a very similar situation for a lot of women and for you as well. So... Mm. Gabrielle, do you think enough is being done currently to learn about endo and similar conditions affecting women and gender-diverse people? No, I don't think there is. I think it's really hard for gender-diverse people and there's even less research about how these diseases affect them differently. Um, There was a really interesting study that I found that looked at um, pain in people who transition and in people who transition to women ended up having more pain. And people who transitioned to men ended up having less pain. And that's right, obvious, right? Because, you know, you become a woman. So you suffer from all the things that women suffer from. And 
if only we had more of those kinds of studies to actually tell us something that we right now don't know because almost everything we know comes from the study of men. So we really need to be looking at both sex differences because there are some biological differences. We know, for example, that the immune system works different in um, people with female uh, reproductive organs than people with male reproductive organs. And it would be really good to know how gender impacts that as well. But for the time being, they're... They're issues we just don't have the answers to. Around the world, men and women are responding differently to coronavirus. Is this something we should be looking into? Of course. We definitely should be looking into it. Um, in, in, from the earliest days, we knew that men, more men were dying. Um, and that seemed to become kind of uh, one of the earliest kind of no-knowns, as they say, about COVID-19. And then a couple of weeks ago, there was a study in India which, which did some analysis on, on risk. And what it found is that women in India, if they caught it, if they caught coronavirus, had a higher risk of dying than men. And that analysis really hasn't been done anywhere else in the world on a large scale. So there are lots of things that we just don't know. We don't know why more men are dying. And, you know, this works for both ways. It's better for men and women and gender diverse people if we understand the differences in biological responses and in responses to drugs and other treatments. Because, for example, osteoporosis is much more common in women and it's kind of thought of an old lady's disease. But almost like a third or maybe a bit more than a third of hip fractures occur in men because they're just not taking the same precautions or being treated to prevent the fractures because it's like not a man thing. And um, I think that some of the men who get illnesses like chronic fatigue syndrome and fibromyalgia, which are much more common in women, get a really raw deal as well. They don't get great treatment either. And, and you know, their very masculinity is questioned when they have these chronic pain conditions that usually affect women. So, so understanding this is really beneficial for everyone. It's an interesting topic. Thanks so much for speaking with us today, Gabrielle. Thanks for having me. That was Gabrielle Jackson, Associate News Editor at The Guide in Australia, on how our culture mistreats female health concerns. You can grab her new book, Pain and Prejudice, from all good bookstores. Don't turn that dial up next. We're chatting to hairdresser Chrissy Zamora about inclusive hair care. But first, here's a timely reflection on the Black Lives Matter movement. This is I Can't Breathe by Melbourne artist Jerome Farah. You're listening to FBI. It is absolutely laughable. The woman's off her tree. Back chat, your alternative to talk back. So I've been in Australia now for nearly 15 years and only until recently it's been impossible to find a hairdresser who understands my 4A Afro curls. And I know I'm not alone. There's over 1 million First Nations, Torres Strait Island, African and Caribbean Aussies across the country. So the demand and the clientele are there. One Sydney stylist wants to tackle this at the root. Chrissy Zamora started a petition to mandate Afro-textured hair education in TAFE's Certificate 3 course. She's joining us to discuss the importance of inclusive and diverse hair care in Australia. Hi, Chrissy. Thanks for joining us. Hi, how are you guys? Thank you for having me. So your petition has nearly 18,000 signatures. Congratulations, firstly. Thank you. Can you tell us what it is all about and why you started the petition? I mean, I 
it, it all stems from frustration for not just being a girl with an afro, but also being a stylist who has to hear client horror stories every day of, you know, ill-equipped hairdressers. And the issue wasn't the hairdressers. I mean, partly the issues with them, but the issue is the system. So I can't knock the hairdressers for not knowing if the system actually trains them to only be able to look after straight hair. So most of it was just out of real frustration and wanting every woman to have access to beauty services, essentially. For sure. And why do you think Afro and curly hair has been not only neglected in your certificate, but also wider Australia? Really, the, the real answer to that is this just enforces your centric beauty standards because if you're only equipping hairdressers to look after straight hair, you're essentially saying these are the standards of beauty that we see and this is the standard of beauty that we value. That, yeah, and I know, right, this, the Eurocentric model is just being the standard. It's it's kind of... Yeah. For sure. Um, so TAFE New South Wales says that they do actually have um, in their national training package African hair types and coarse textures included in the syllabus. Is that actually the case? It's written in the curriculum, but it's not taught. So, you know, what, what's the point of writing it and not teaching it? No, for sure. Yeah. And could you touch on how Afro hair types are structurally unique? Absolutely. So Afro hair is drier than... We don't produce our own... Um, natural hair oils so that's why you find a lot of curly and afro girls have to always moisturize and hydrate their hair and oil their hair just to keep it moisturized so it doesn't break off that's the main difference um and another thing as well it is more prone to damage so you have to handle it differently when you're coloring it or styling it even you can easily damage it as opposed to straight hair so you're listening to Back Chat here on FBI Radio 94.5 FM with Shami and Mills. We're speaking with hairstylist Chrissy Zamora about upskilling across coils, kinks and curls. So Chrissy, you've heard some absolute horror stories from people visiting unequipped salons. I'm sure you have personal tales to share as well. What's one of the, one of the worst anecdotes you've come across? I uh, hard to choose. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I've had the horror from stylists getting brushes stuck in clients' hair and having to cut it out. Um, I've had people getting their hair colored. And, you know, when you're coloring upper or curly hair, you have to be careful to not lose the curl pattern. So someone go get the their curls colored, but then it comes out straight because, you know, they've over-processed it. And now you have to just cut it off because once the curl is ruined, you can never revert back. You just have to cut it out. Oh, wow. Like, those are just some. Yeah, those are just some. Just some. They sound horrifying <laughs> as is. I I know Millie has has uh, African curly hair. However, I, I don't, so I never will be able to relate. But it does sound like yeah. such a chore. It is. No, absolutely. I know my sister, she's had some horror stories where the hairdresser hasn't accounted for shrinkage. So they've cut her hair mm, and then she's okay. walked out looking like Pennywise the Clown. It is, it's not good. It's, it's, it's not, not good. it's not, it's not. So, I mean, something as basic as shrinkage is not understood. Mm, you know, so I think the most basic stuff um, and theory-based information when it comes to textured hair needs to be really touched on extensively as opposed to just written down and having students read it but without actually explain, explaining or even encouraging students to understand it more. So what is shrinkage? I'm, I, can, I can guess, but I'd love for you so, to explain. So curly and afro hair shrinks when it's um, dry. So the oh. way it stretches when it's wet, that's not the real length. I mean, it's the real length, but it will shrink back when it's dry. So that's why most curly hair has to be cut dry. Oh, in its natural form, I in its natural see. Texture, yeah. 
So you know how, like, I'm sure you would go to the salon and get your hair cut, they'll cut it wet? You can't do that with curly hair. Okay. My hair, yeah. I, I have Indian hair, so it's a bit wavy, but it's not, it's nowhere near as yeah. um, glorious <laughs> as, as black hair. Um, but yeah, I understand. Or maybe yeah. at least I'm starting to. Um, <laughs> anyway, so on that note, you are a curly hair educator, which I think is a very cool title. How are you filling the gap, um, at least the educational gap, um, until TAFE ups its game? I'm, I'm just trying to really touch on the, the basic fundamentals of afro-textured hair. So there's no point in jumping to color and styling and cutting it if you don't understand how to wash it. So I'm trying to really um, push and encourage stylists who come to train with me to just really understand the theory stuff first and then build on that. That's the foundation. Because if you understand how, it, how afro and curly hair behave when it's wet, then you'll fully understand how you can style it or colour it and cut it. In your petition, you wrote that the industry should be on the right side of history on this. Why is it mm-hmm. important to have these conversations in our current political climate? So I feel the hair industry are the cornerstone of so many other industries. So I feel like if we're the ones to lead the way in this conversation, this trickles down into many other industries. So the fashion industry, you'll find that models will start to have better experiences on set. Um, because they had they have access to hairdressers that can look after them. You also find the film industry will, will flourish because they're now Afro hairdressers here can get more work. Because at the moment, a lot of films, are, oh, um, Queensland is the hot spot at the moment for Hollywood movies, and they're all bringing their own stylists. They're all bringing their own stylists because Australia doesn't have Afro, Afro hair trained stylists, which is a real shame. So a lot of stars are losing out on jobs. Just um, on The Voice, Kelly Rowland brings her own stylist for the three months that she's here to bring her on silence. Oh, wow. Um, finally, yeah. in an ideal world, what do you hope the petition achieves and on what timeline? You know, I'm, I'm going to see this through to the end. I'm not going to stop or give up on it. Um, I really want to see women, all women, especially texted women, having easy access to beauty services. Like, every woman deserves to have access to beauty services. You know, I just don't think it's right that I have clients who travel from Port Macquarie. That's crazy. It's lovely. I appreciate it. But it's also, you know, a two-hour, a four-hour drive for a haircut. That's just not fair. Yeah. So I think, you know, we really need to do something about this. And, um, you know, there's been a lot of people in the industry who's going, who've gotten in touch to offer their help. So, you know, things are happening and it can definitely happen. Um, it's going to be a lot of work, but that's fine. Nothing easy is worth it. So, yeah. Thank you so much for starting this petition and for speaking to us today, Chrissy. Thank you so much for having me, guys. That was hairstylist Chrissy Zamora on her viral petition to get textured hair care taught at TAFE. There's still time to sign. We'll tweet out a link to her petition shortly. Well, that's all the time we've got for today's show. Another big thank you to our producers, Natalie Sekolovska, Eden Faithful, Vanessa Lim, and Nicole Ilyagoyeva. And thanks again to our guests, Gabrielle Jackson and Chrissy Zamora. We'll catch you next week. But before we do, we're going to play a song. We are going to play a song. This is called uh, Hand Pan by Peggy Goo. This was what you recommended, actually, Millie. Yeah, it's such a banger and it's going to get sat started on a great note. Mercury retrograde, guys. Oh, anyway, have a lovely weekend, everyone. Take care. <laughs>